<laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bible and Banter. We are your co-host, Michael J. Fox. I mean, Alex, and I am Eric Reynolds. It's a joy to be with you today. Uh, what's your middle name? My father's name. I think we've oh, actually there? talked about yeah. this on a previous episode. I think we've bantered about this. <laughs> yeah, this because I think that was the exact. And then I tried guessing what your dad's name yes. is, and I couldn't figure it out. What's the middle initial? Did I get it right with J? No, R. R. Roberto. <laughs> yes. <that's laughs> yeah! <it. laughs> man, I knew it. Oh, my goodness. Man, you're I'm good at this. <laughs> <laughs> so we were just actually having a really good conversation until the show interrupted us. Uh, yeah. We got like a timer notifying us, hey, it's time to go on air. So, Mike, let's finish this conversation. You and I were talking about our long-term plans that we are going to die we're going to predecease our wives. Like mm. That's our, that's. Yeah. Well, actually, that's not our plan. My wife has made it clear that she doesn't want to go have to figure out life without me. So she would like to go first. Um, but in this other instance, we were talking about, and it, it, you know, in, in my 38 years of life, but it has become even more stark in my past 11 years of ministry is, um, Nothing ever goes according to plan. Mm. Nothing. Okay. Absolutely okay. nothing. Um, and so in, in this instance of talking okay. about like when people say we want this spouse to go first, be be very, very much ready for that to actually not be the case. Well, it's not that I mean, we're not saying we want it's just the likelihood. Sure. The likelihood, the likelihood. Of, okay, the likelihood. of us dying before our our wives is oh yeah. Uh, that's just what the evidence shows. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, in fact, Robin and I were talking about this. Yeah. See, Robin's bringing this up. We just talked about this, how your spouse is supposed to die before how I'm supposed to die before brewing our dog. Um, so that, so that brewing can help her through. He, so he uh, turns into a therapy, a therapy dog. Yeah. 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 So I get it. I get that. But he's like six and he's a big dog. So I, I don't know how long, like he's starting to get old for his size. Um, yeah, Robin says TikTok, Erica already, uh, the dog's six. So he, I mean, in all likelihood, he's probably going to die somewhere between the age of nine and 12. Mm -hmm. So that means I have to die sometime in the next three to six years. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> that's, that's, wow. That's very morbid. <laughs> well, uh, the way I look at it is, you know, the way that Paul looked at it to live as Christ, to die as gain. So, you know. Uh, don't cry for me when I die. Mike, Mike, you with us, bud? Yeah, sorry. Are you going to pull the same thing as last no, week? You're I'm do Berkshire no, I'm work not. No, I'm not. Doing, as you're doing this work? Well, and that's what it was, a text from Berkshire. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> My goodness. Do I get to like, call Glenn? Do I get to tell him to chillax <laughs> from 1 to 2 on Tuesdays? <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else is new, Mike? Any, anything else? wrestling with anything with with god like are you, are you getting into the scriptures and um and, and <laughs> how, like wrestling how, with anything well hold on hold on how how vulnerable should i be on a live stream on on the internet it depends you're gonna cry maybe i, I i'm pretty easy crier when i get to things that are very heartfelt so it could oh. be but okay. okay so i'll be honest i'll show some vulnerability i you know okay. 
before I left the house this morning, um, I uh, so some something came through our our communications and uh, it frustrated me, and so I shared my frustration with uh, with my wife, and so I, I had a little wrestling with uh, with God about how it's really hard to love people mm. <laughs> and and assume the best from them. And so as a pastor, that's a very difficult place to be in many times. Um, and so just wrestling with God uh, in terms of, in terms of that. Um, mm. So, so showing, so giving people the benefit of the doubt, looking, assuming looking the, best, the best, you know, not assuming, mm. assuming the worst, even if you think you have, even if you think you have evidence to not assume the best from past history, and just you know how to how to love people even when you get frustrated by people. Yeah, I know a way. I know a way to do it, Mike. I've okay. Been thinking about this. I've been thinking about this. Uh, just living living as a monk, man. Like, just, <laughs> like I, just think about how lovely life would be if you could just lock yourself in your office, have food brought to you, and all you did was study and pray. Yeah. I feel like I, I I was thinking about this last night. I went to a hockey game, and I am kidding. I'm I'm ju- I'm joking. oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, I like people more than Mike does, but um, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this at, at when Jackson and I we went to a Hurricanes game last night. It was it was great. It was fun, but I just I was observing the players. I was observing the coach. We sat right above the tunnel where they came out, and and the coach comes out and he's standing during warmups. And he, he's been the coach there now, I think for three years, maybe four, but I'm pretty sure it's three. And you watch him and he looks anxious. Like he looked like I I could just see on his face. I could see in his mannerisms. I could tell by just the way he was standing. I was just observing him um, watching their team and the other team. And I was thinking like, man, I wonder what life is like for this guy. I wonder what life is like for, for these guys on the ice. I wonder, you know, what's going on in their personal lives. Like they're out here. They are, um, they are performing. They are playing a game in front of 15,000 people Mm -hmm. and they've been working together for years. They know each other's likes and dislikes. They hang out in the locker room. They like all, like all this, this whole sphere of stuff that that all comes to mind. And I thought, Man, there's so much I could probably learn from all these guys and how they carry themselves and their perspective and all. Because you got guys that are from all around the world, and you have to navigate those personalities, the different cultures, and how someone sees um, sees our culture is going to be different than how we see our culture. And I just like was in this despair last night in my seat. Like I'm, I spent all this money for these tickets. And I'm sitting there next to my son where I should be enjoying the game in his company. And instead I'm sitting in despair because I'm thinking about all the stuff I don't know. Like I was legitimately thinking like, I need, I need, a, I, I need 10 lifetimes to mm-hmm. learn everything. And I'm just not going to be able to. And I got home from the game and my wife was like, why do you look upset? <laughs> like, Oh no, I'm fine. I'm not upset. Because I realized, like, if I told her what I was what I was thinking, she'd just think I'm an idiot. 
because there's nothing I can do to control that. But I'm just yeah. thinking like, so, so take that back to your point, Mike, is that there are things that are beyond our control yeah. and beyond our ability to even understand or know. Mm-hmm. Um, all we can do is grow. That's it, yeah. Mike. Yeah. And yeah. so Josh Cheney has a, a real good, real good point. He's absolutely right. Especially when I, in the, you know, what, isn't that the point of God's love? He loved us when we were not easy to love. Why should we expect it to be easier for us when we try to reflect that love to others? Um, I don't expect it to be easy, but I want it to be, um, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and the reality is I would want someone to love and show me kindness, even though I am hard to love and I am frustrating even as a pastor. And I think sometimes that's some things that we run into in the church is people don't realize that pastors are real human beings that battle sin and, and get frustrated. We should never get frustrated with our pastor because he's perfect. He's gone to seminary. He's done this. He's done that. Like he should be the perfect human being when in reality, (laughs) no, we just point to the, as a pastor, we just point to the perfect human being Mm -hmm. in in Jesus Christ, the the perfect God, man, you, you know, don't, don't go, don't get mad at me because I referred to him as just a, a human being. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I, I just struggle with not feeling it, you know? And I know we don't, and I always preach that. Don't trust your feelings. Um, you know, you can't be emotions or feeling led. Uh, but, it, it, you know, we have to, I think pastors, we have to be honest that there are some days when it's really tough to show the same love that God showed us. Yeah. I I mean, I don't have any problem with that. I love, <laughs> I love everybody in my church, man. Yeah. I say that with sincerity. I'm actually not saying it tongue in cheek. Like last few no, weeks, I've been telling no, my church and, how much, okay. like this is like, like, hold on, Mike, this, uh, this past month has been pastor appreciation month. And, uh, and I'm not big on these kinds of things. Like I had, I had someone reach out and was like, yeah, so my church wants to throw a a special service for me and appreciation for pastor appreciation month. And I immediately had like a mini anxiety attack just thinking about that. Right. Like, like they, like this past Sunday, uh, the deacons got up, they hijacked everything, got up, called Matt and I up on stage and, and thanked us, gave us a card and whatnot. And that was super uncomfortable, man. Because I'm not about like like I'm not about that. Yeah. Um. But I've spent some time intentionally telling my church how much I appreciate them. Because and, and for those of you who don't know, I know there are a number of churches in in America and around the world, uh, and most likely in our denomination, they're being torn apart by the workings of the last two to four years. And my church just has not been in that boat. There have been some other junk that that happened. You know, um, but COVID has actually brought us closer together and it has mm-hmm. been a blessing to um, help lead our congregation. So yeah. it's, it's actually been a joy, but there are times in ministry and in life sure. where you, where you come upon people who are just, they're hard, they're hard to love. Yeah. Um, no. And, and so, okay. Let, let me kind of even nuance it a little bit more because I agree with you. I love the people in my church. You know, and just like just like there are always going to be different people in your family that, you know, you know, there's seasons that it's a bit more difficult in being part of that family. And so so don't get me wrong. It's not that, you know, I'm having trouble loving my church family, but it's just 
what I find is just like in family, the people closest to you, when they either disappoint you or, or whatever, it cuts a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. you know, especially mm-hmm. when you, and, and that's the problem, you know, when someone, especially close to you or that you have a certain view of doesn't quite meet expectation mm-hmm. and yet you feel like they should know better or whatever, it cuts a little different. For example, I don't get too riled up when the world and non-Christians disappoint me mm-hmm. or, you know, I used to get really bummed when I was a teenager and an actor or actress that I really liked and come to find out they have different religious or political views. And I'd be like, oh, man, that's so demoralizing. But I'm like, why, why is that affecting me so emotionally? It's the world. Why should I expect anything different? And so I've learned to kind of get beyond that. But then the closer you get in relationship, it cuts a little different depending on who the person is and how close they are to you when they come out with things that are either frustrating or disappointing or, or what have you. Yeah, I'm not, I, I mean, I don't necessarily know if I follow you a hundred percent on this one, Mike. Uh, yeah. You know, because, and the reason I don't necessarily follow So what I'm about to say, I don't know if it's what you're saying, but sure. I like, I, I look at, at everybody in the world and I, and I look and see, this is all God's world. It's all created by mm-hmm. him. And we have our own set of beliefs that, you know, based on scripture, what's revealed by God through there, um, how everything came into be redemption, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. that. But I also recognize that there are people who are not going to have those same perspectives and views and whatnot. Right. Um, you know, I have, I, I don't really get disappointed with people who act a certain way or believe a certain way or anything like that. Um, save those who are Christian and are mm-hmm. going against, you know, uh, who, who claim who claim to follow Jesus, but it's almost like their life's mission to <laughs> show they're not following Jesus. You know what I mean? No, I, and I guess in my convoluted way, I, I I was saying the same thing. Like when it comes to the world, like I don't get disappointed anymore by them. Because yeah. that's that's their that's their that's their wheelhouse, yeah. So that makes sense. But the closer you get when it comes to you know Christianity, or even within my own context, and I have biblical or, or maybe even unbiblical, and why I get bothered so much. Maybe maybe the issue is with my view of things. You know, mm-hmm. always look at the sp- the log in your own eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just the the closer in terms of expectation because of closer relationally is when, when it gets harder. So for example, mm-hmm. it's different when your, let's say your, your mom disappoints you as opposed to, you know, the fake mom on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, the closer you get to, dis- to f- relational disappointment, the harder, the, the, diff- the more, di- the di- it cuts different, if that makes sense. Okay. I don't know how we got talking about this because this was. Well, you asked me to bear that. to what I was wrestling with, man. Man, wow. Yeah, my my wrestlings are convoluted and difficult. Yeah, this is. I mean, that's good though. I, the, yeah. I mean, this is the this is the type of stuff, man, that uh, we need to wrestle with, right? Sure. Um, you know, as we, as as I get more involved in, um, my PhD studies. 
I'm learning how much I don't know mm-hmm. and, and how diverse, you know, theological thought is and, and all this other stuff. Now, before Nathaniel jumps on here, somebody else is like, oh, man, Eric's going to go liberal or whatever. No, that's not the case, man. But I, I'm 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 <laughs> reading some of these liberal folks, the post liberals, the post, you know, uh, the post everything, the neo ortho. Like I'm reading these folks and going, oh, man, now I'm seeing how they got there. Before I didn't know how they got there, but now I see how they got there. Um, and and but it gives me a greater appreciation for who they are as people, you know. Mm-hmm. So so as I'm wrestling with things just in life, and you know who I am, what I believe, what I think is is clear or not clear. Um, you know, I wrestle hard with stuff all the time, man. Robin's like. I feel so bad for Robin. It'd be, it'd be impossible for me to be married to someone like me. I don't think Robin understands that. That like how, Im- like I recognize how impossible it is because I'm so high or low. And when I'm in, and I can, and I can be, I can seemingly be that way when Robin's like, Hey, what, what's going on? What's bothering you? Blah, blah, blah. And I go, Oh yeah. I'm just pondering, you know, uh, the the depths of God's wrath and or you know like or like something like some sort of existential um maybe crisis that I'm having in, in, in something or some very difficult theological concept or philosophical concept or uh, all kinds of stuff man and I wrestle with those kinds of things like the way that you're talking about it almost daily and mm-hmm. um I don't, I just don't understand. Like I lack, I, I lack understanding in how people don't have those, right? Like the, just the surface level Christianity, the, the people who just say, well, uh, um, there's, well, you just need blind faith. I think I talked about that in a sermon recently, how some people just say, oh, you just need blind faith. No, God at no point ever refers to you needing blind faith. Faith is faith. Uh, it, it is certainly something that you uh, is belief in, in things unseen as the scripture says, but there's evidence for the faith that you have. You're not called to have unevidential faith. Um, it's not something you go, well, this is just, I grew up in America, so I got to be a Christian. That's why I'm a Christian. Um, and I know a lot of people who are like that, you know, and mm-hmm. I guess I'm on the exact opposite. Maybe you are too, where it's, uh, <clears throat> Nathaniel said, just got home when you said Nathaniel's going to call me a liberal, but I missed why I'm supposed to call you a liberal. Uh, no, Big Fry, I was just kidding because I've been reading, and you know this because we've talked about it, liberal uh, theologians. Essentially right now I'm studying theological uh, method, and uh, so I have to read you know, a lot of other people. But, but my point is um, I wish more people would wrestle with the deep things of God. And I think that if we did, which will kind of bring us to to what our topic is for the day, is that when we're navigating our own depravity, our own sin, and and the love of God, how to live in light of that that love, we should come at it from a posture in which we are lear- we're, we're trying to learn and trying to understand, and and oftentimes we can come from a place of well, this is what I learned. 15 years ago now i'm just seeking to justify what i was told Mm. or taking taking what might be truth might be truth 
but taking it uncritically. And then when it comes time to unpack that, you just say, well, why are you attacking me? Why are you, you know, so, so I think, um, I think everything that you've just shared and I've just shared can, can, can be summarized most easily in the fallen condition of man, our need for exploring truth, mm. evaluating truth, um, wrestling with truth. Uh, because ultimately our, our topic for today came through, through um, an email thread that you and I had mm. regarding a friend of yours who, who has seemingly either departed from the faith or, is kind of on the verge of departing from the faith or wrestling with the faith with, with how to love people in seeming contradictions within the faith, um, which brought us to today's topic. Yes. Would you like yeah. to divulge any more? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so this friend went to college with me and, and he was very steeped in, you know, the big debate while I was at NIAC was like postmodernism and that's on the brink and Brian McLaren and the emergent church and everything. And he definitely has deep dived into the more postmodern thought. Um, the guy, phenomenal musical artist, gifted orator, uh, got a, I think he has a PhD in psychology. And so he, he, wrestle i what i can see him wrestling with is okay people struggle and so how do we help them not to struggle anymore and so i he's really bought into uh, the unfortunate um i think in my perception and what i've seen him write into the you know the more my, modern psychological thing is you know people aren't necessarily broken or there's nothing necessarily wrong with them. So we just need to help them process their circumstances so that they're more comfortable with who they are and where they're at. Okay. You know, so not really solve any problems, but more just, you know, make people comfortable with who they are. Mm -hmm. So, so he put out a, a music video recently of a song he wrote where he wrestles with all the things he's been called a heretic and stuff. And, all this jazz because of his theological views. And, and quite frankly, we would probably see what he puts down as heresy, mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to be quite honest, but I still love the guy. I mean, we have to understand that not when we talk about heresy, these people are probably very lovable people. <laughs> well, I mean, heretic yeah. is a technical term. It's a it's historical a Christianity term. Exactly. It's kind of like the people who say, yeah, you can't say hell. Right. But say what? You know exactly, exactly. So, yeah. so he, I, in looking, listening to this song, and you know, you know, seeing the post that he put of where where he got this song from and the idea for it, he, I saw another post where he talked about, and he was just speaking to the general public, saying, "You are lovable. You are never more lovable than you are now. You never were. Like just, just kind of this self self talk of you are you are perfect just the way you are." lovable and so i was and and that and god god loves your lovableness or, or whatever or, or your conception of god loves your lovableness i can't remember exactly what he said but um it just got me thinking and i'm like you know for people that are really scared today really wrestling and really wondering um i i just saw i was like you know what that is very soothing 
to hear positive self-talk. Now, for me personally, as I reveal, shared with my church and I've shared before, I was like, I tend to be a more melancholy person. I, I have a personality that has to battle to see good and to see positive. It's my personality. I, I, and I've, I've shared this with you in a text before. You know, I have to battle to, to battle for joy, mm-hmm. if you will. Or that to sounds see, like a good book title. Uh, I bet you John Piper. You know, about it. <laughs> you know um, he's a white supremacist. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> but uh, so so that so I have to fight that battle. So hearing stuff like that from him, I was like, okay, okay, you are lovable. Okay, how does that? And so I that's when I got on the the email chain with you, and I was like, okay, how does something like that? Because I started to think about well, but I'm also depraved. Um, I also have. I'm sinful by nature apart from Christ until he gives me a new nature. Some might call that naughty by nature. Naughty by nature. That's right. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I just started, my mind was like, I'd like to wrestle with this um, Bible banter with Eric of this, this idea of, and, you know, Josh has kind of pointed to it already. You know, we are, you know, theology might say is that we are unlovable. Yet God mm-hmm. loves us anyway. But we also say that there's inherent value in the image of God that he created us mm-hmm. as well. But mm-hmm. sin has marred that. Mm-hmm. So so let's say we have someone of a postmodern, every truth is relative person sitting there. How do you explain to them God's love for them and yet they are a depraved wretch or, you know, sinful by nature, which displeases and angers God's justice, holiness, and we are destined for wrath. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, is that a rhetorical question? Are you asking me like, it's a, it's a bit both. It's a bit both because what we don't want to say is, Oh, don't worry about it. You're lovable. That's why God died for you, or that's why why everything's going to be okay, because you are innately, you know, Pelagianism. We don't want to go in that route where there is no original sin, and you're innately, you're innately good. good. You're inherently good. Yeah, you're inherently yeah. good. Uh, and I would, and I would say this, man. Like I, I've lived, and I know. Hey, in church world, we're young men, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in church world, you and I are young guys, but let's face it, we are we're approaching middle age, both of us. Mm-hmm. And um, so I feel like I can speak finally now with some kind of authority about how the world is. And and, and what I've learned in my 34 years, and this is just based on experience, and I think it aligns with Scripture based on how I've read Scripture, is that the world is not, uh, and by the world I mean people in the world, inherently good. There are people to lesser degrees, and, and there are varying degrees of, even what God would call good and evil. There are things that people, Christians and non-Christians do that appear good to us. However, good works that people do or the good that people do can only appear to be good except for those who are in Christ. Now, I know that sounds insane to some people, um, but that's in line with, with Martin Luther and John Calvin as well as Augustine that that the 
when we're talking about good, what is most good is that which is a spiritual good. I want to read for you just a little bit. Um, this is from uh, Herman Bavink in the third uh, third volume of his Reformed Dogmatics. He's talking about original sin. He says uh, it, it's a corruption of nature, of, hu of human nature. He says this corruption of human nature is so total that humans are by nature incapable of any spiritual good, inclined to all evil, and on account of it alone deserving of eternal punishment. Um, we can look to Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Ephesians 2. Hey, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Paul, Paul lays out in Romans uh, that sin came into the world through our first father, our federal head, our federal representative, meaning Adam, who we are all sons and daughters of, he is the means by which sin came into the world. So the original goodness that was there is marred by that sin. In, in total depravity, the doctrine of total depravity speaks not that we are as evil as we could possibly be, but mm. our entire nature, our, the totality of our nature has been marred or corrupted mm. by sin mm. so that we can't, apart from a work of God, we call it regeneration within the Christian faith, apart from God's work through the Holy Spirit in changing our hearts, mm. we can't do anything that's spiritually good. Mm -hmm. um, because we are changed, by that work, by that work of the Holy Spirit, then the works that we do the, the, can be called good. The works that we do for our neighbor, loving our neighbor, loving God, loving our spouse, loving our church, loving our community. It is then a good work because we've been renewed spiritually. Now, that doesn't mean we don't jack stuff up. We do. We're not perfect. We are living in light of that righteousness that we've been imputed, uh, that's been imputed to us through Christ. But um, ultimately, um, the, the ultimate good is found only in Christ. And, and everything else is marred by sin, e even though we can see pockets of what is seemingly good in the world. Someone doesn't have to be a Christian to go help out of, at a food pantry or mm -hmm. to serve orphans in Uganda or anything like that. Like you don't have to be a Christian to do that kind of thing. It's mm -hmm. almost like those things are a glimpse of goodness, right? Mm -hmm. But ultimately the ultimate good is when those things are done by those in the church, because they point to God in a more clear capacity. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so I think a lot of ways, you know, I, I, <laughs> I shared with my church that more and more I see our culture and see their theology, even though they don't realize they have a theology, um, that back in the mid 1900s and into the 2000s, apologetics was really trying to argue 
like the case for Christ and more than Carpenter. And, and to some degree, we still need to know those things, but those things are very difficult to argue when your culture and your context has no standard of truth, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while we do need to know those things and be able to argue the, for those things, um, I think less of evangelism and even apologetics today is arguing and more showing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not out to, we're, we're to show Christ, not convince people of Christ. 100%. You, so um, you know where you see this, Mike? You know where you see that? Yeah. And I think you're probably picking up on something that that uh, that Matty Chan said uh, a few weeks ago that kind of blew up on on the Twitter sphere when he was talking about the the true apologetic for the 21st century is just not being a jerk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he's right. So so what we our our apologetic now for the church is going to be a cultural apologetic in which we live out the hospitality that we find in the scriptures that we had neglected for a long time. Mm-hmm. We focus so much on, on intellectual communicate on, on, on focusing on people's minds that we've neglected embracing them um, into mm-hmm. community. Now that doesn't mean um, you can, that doesn't mean that you, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, that doesn't mean you don't address the mind. And that doesn't mean that we have not been hospitable at times. But our hospitality has not shown through in the last several years. Um, so, meaning we've been jerks as a whole. Like evangelicals. I mean, I look at, like at times and, and I say American evangelicals, right? Like there was a recent... Um, discussion on on Twitter between um, Dr. Bradley, who we talk we talk about sometimes, Anthony Bradley, and uh, oh my goodness, I got one of his books, but I can't remember his name. But a theologian out in Australia, and and uh, Bradley, who's part of an evangelical denomination, uh, takes to task the evangelical church. And just saying, hey, this is how this is what has shown shown through. And this guy's like, that's not the case here in Australia. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm just talking about American evangelicalism. And the thing is, is what we've largely cultivated in the last 50 years, maybe longer. I'm not quite sure. I'd be interested to see what the church historians have to say, but is a cultural Christianity that is more rooted in political activism than it is in gospel mission. Now that's not saying that's the entirety of of American evangelicalism, but that is for many, for many who are outside the church, that's what they perceive. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of us who are inside the church, who are inside these circles of American evangelicalism, well, we can recognize, we can differentiate between um, the folks over in this corner, the folks in this corner. We can divide that. Maybe our church members can't because they're not a part of of, of that. Uh, of that milieu but mm-hmm. you and i the, some of the other guys who watch the show and gals who watch the show can 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 look and divide people in different pockets and different tribes and whatnot and we can say he, here are the folks who are actually nice here are the folks that aren't here and and you go yeah but they're all being painted with the same broad brush mm-hmm. what like and and that really sucks so for us because people are going to perceive us as simply right-wing uh activists in, mm. in my conversation with people who are non-Christian, that's what they perceive the church as now, right-wing activists. Um, we now have to, to take a step back and go, okay, how do, I, how do I not 
have that be the first thing people think about me as a Christian now? Like, mm-hmm. how, how do I now demonstrate Christ to them? And, and maybe it's not in the situation that you and I were talking about prior to coming out on, on air is the first thing you tell a, 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 a trans person or, or same uh, same sex attracted person or whatever. Maybe the first thing isn't, uh, you know, out of your mouth is, Hey, I hope you, know, I just want you to know you're damned to hell unless you believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, so uh, you're okay. So I want to start first with your comment about hospitality. We haven't okay. been good at hospitality. I'm not good at hospitality because I stink at planning things and I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. But there are people that are really good. But I remember preaching this many years ago in my in our church that hospitality is not mainly inviting people over that you like or mm-hmm. you're friendly with. There mm-hmm. is an element of there where Paul wants you to be hospitable to like the traveling preachers and the people coming through that are in need. But a large portion of hospitality is welcoming in the stranger or the person that you're trying to get to know or that you don't have much familiarity with. Um, and, and so like, I, th- there's this kind of this push and pull of we're to be hospitable, but that means that, you know, um, yeah, absolutely. I recommend this book. Jeff yeah. Vanderstelt, Saturate. Yeah. And so you're going to want to be hospitable to though to the lesbian, to the transgender, but the, the key is going to be in deep in prayer about how do you, you know, be hospitable and love people and show them Jesus, but also not affirm that which you know to be true, not to know not to be true. Well, um, well Mike, I, I ask you of this, right? And this yeah. question, I mean, this is a, a hard question. Right. And I think we need to show some charity in how we answer this question. But I, I've seen people get very upset about it, um, which is why we should talk about it now, which is uh, the friend that you have that is same sex attracted or 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 transgendered or whatever. Because and we're talking about those two things because those are kind of the hot button issues within the church. They're the ones that we've not done well with how to respond. I've said this from the pulpit before. Most of us, including myself, are more comfortable ministering to to an alcoholic than we are someone who's facing gender identity. So what happens? What Do we view that person who has gender dysphoria and look at them and go, my aim is to get them to realize that God has made them to be the gender they were assigned at birth, or is my aim for them to know Jesus? Hmm. And I think for a lot of people, their aim is to get them to stop doing the things that make us feel uncomfortable. And instead our aim needs to be for that, to introduce Jesus to them, which can take, it can take a moment. It can take a lifetime, Mm -hmm. but however long it takes, I'm going to share Christ with them. And in sharing Christ with them, I'm going to trust God's work in their life. Now, is there a time in which they're, gender identity or their same sex attraction comes up. Absolutely. But the same thing goes for someone who uh, is an alcoholic. Um, I've ministered to to people who've been in drug addiction, alcohol addiction, mental health, and and all that for years. And my aim for someone who is an alcoholic in active addiction is not for them to come off addiction. My active aim is for them to know and trust Christ to repent of their sin and, and believe in him. Now, if they are a Christian who is fighting addiction, 
Now, it, now that kind of changes a little bit, right? Now, now we're talking about, all right, we do want to help them come off of drugs or alcohol, whatever that might be, because I do think that you can, you, you can have a genuine uh, conversion to Christ and still struggle with addiction. You can still struggle with mental health. I have struggled with mental health for years, and I can tell you that that um, I have struggled with you know, in the past suicidal ideation and, 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 and all kinds of stuff. Uh, it happens. This is life. So, so our chief aim is to see people know Jesus. Mm -hmm. Those other things are downstream of that. And I'm not even saying they have to be a hundred miles downstream. I'm just saying, look sure. at people, love them, love them for who they are, mm -hmm. love them for who they are. And, and, and in the midst of that, you're sharing Christ and you're seeing life change happen in the midst of that. And, and Hey, is gender identity is the gender identity stuff. Uh, what does God say? Listen, God says there's two genders. If you're born male, you're born male. If you're born female, you're born female. There are obviously some exceptions that happen in less than like 0.1% of the population um, where you can be born as uh I don't know the. I think they call them but. intersex. I intersex was, persons. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, is is same sex attraction? You know, is is uh, same sex relationships? Are those sinful? Yes, and and absolutely. But and and we see in Romans one a picture of that too, which I I've struggled with for for a while, just understanding how everything that's at play there. But ultimately, I also know that my. My self-righteousness is, is a sin. Uh, I know that my dogmatism is a sin. I, 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 I try to wrestle with my sin on a daily basis where I'm in deep thought in consideration seeking the Lord. If I, if I weren't a Christian, if I were not a Christian, I would expect Mike for you first and foremost to care about my soul and not the things that are symptoms of my fallenness, you know? Right. So. Right. So, so you were bringing it more into the, into the practical, you know, so bring them to Jesus bef before, not necessarily not worrying about, but before dealing with their, you know, holding them to account, so to speak for their uh, alcoholism, drug abuse, you know, homosexuality or transgender, all that. 100% agree with you, well, but I would even... Like can I give you a perfect example of this, Mike? Yep. Am I, I'll literally 30 seconds before I came, before I came to Christ. And even shortly after I came to Christ, I, I didn't care about same sex attraction. I, I couldn't care less about, you know, what, uh, two dudes marrying two two uh, women get married. I, I couldn't, could not have cared less. Uh, you know, came to faith in Christ a few years later, reading the scriptures, listening to people, evaluated the evidence found in the word of God and said, nope, I have to adjust my views. I was wrong. Now, had someone come to me and said, oh, the, you know, you're wrong about same-sex attraction, same-sex marriage or, or whatnot, and never preached Jesus? What in the, you know, mm -hmm. you're, they would have been, been trying to focus on the wrong thing. Yeah. And, and, it's, it's, and it's a problem. Yeah. But let's address Jesus and then get to the sin. Exactly. And so so that's kind of where I was going. You know, we, we talked about like when someone is engaged in these things, but also we need to recognize that there's a process also in the way people think about these things. 
So for example, even on the day of your conversion, you probably would have been, well, what's the big deal about Adam and Steve or Eve and Jenny? You know, what, right. what's the big deal on that? Well, that's also a process as well. Um, mm -hmm. So, so whether it's a transgender person or a person who doesn't have a problem with transgender or vice versa, or even alcoholism, let's put it even to the mundane. What's the big deal about getting drunk on the weekends, whether you do it yourself or someone else does it, what's the big deal? Let's get to Christ. And then as we grow in Christ, help let him use us or together sort those things out. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I, I get the sense that because of how things have been done in the past, we want in that conversion experience, everything to be sorted out in that one conversion moment. Mm -hmm. But that's not yeah. discipleship. No, it's not. I mean, it's a long road in the same direction. That's discipleship. And, yeah. you know, we've, we, we often have more patience for ourselves than we have with other people. Um, and, and I think that if we if we instead focus and this is the, the problem that a lot of people in there in how they read Matthew seven. Right. Um, which is the passage on, you know, take the log out of your own eye before uh, taking the speck out of your brother's eye. Uh, judge not lest you be judged. We take that as a uh, a lot of people, most people that, that I have found take that as a car blanche. Like I can do anything I want because nobody else is going to say anything or, or like no one is to hold me accountable for any kind of sin or anything like that. That is not what Jesus is saying. He, he is saying in that passage, you should apply, uh, apply God's instruction the same way to yourself as you would someone else. Use God's instruction for the measure in which you, in which you judge, not the world's instruction. Use God's standard, not the world's standard. Be as gracious to others as you would to yourself. Um, show mercy and love and all those things in the midst of it. Um, we see um, we see Matthew 18 share that we're supposed to hold one another accountable. There, there's a sense of accountability within the church in which we are when a brother or sister is found, found in sin to restore them, which is what Paul uses in Galatians uh, five and six. We are to restore that weaker brother. Um, and, and I think that we can do that practically when we recognize our own compulsion to mm. sin, even as Christians, right. um, our, our own ability to reject the word of God and what he calls us uh, to do. Yeah. I always wrestle when, you know, no, there's no perfect church at, at all. But I always wrestle when when I hear people say, you know, specifically when Christians say, I, you know, I can't believe they're doing this, this, you know, and they're Christians, blah, blah, blah. And I and I sit there and I'm like, you know what, you're, you're right to an extent. Christians shouldn't A, B, C or D. But the reality is we have to understand that we still battle sin. Mm -hmm. And so we, we just know who our savior is and who's going to hold us account. And we need to recognize that when we sin we need to go back to him mm -hmm. um, and deal with it in a different way than the world deals with it. Um, mm -hmm. So I've, I've always, I'll be honest, I've always been bothered, bothered when people are like, I can't believe this is happening amongst Christians. And I'm like, I think you've set Christians up on too high a pedestal <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because the reality is we still, even the, even the oldest Christian who's been Christian since Methuselah, 
you know, is going to battle something in their life that's mm-hmm. sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're, you know, the, it's a progressive as Josh as Josh uh, said, we were, we will never be fully free of the stain of sin until Christ comes again. Mm. 100%. 100%. Yeah. That's good. Mike, do we answer all your questions? Hypothetically. <laughs> now, because it's one thing to talk about it and then to have the person sitting across from you. Yeah. So. Well, in in things like what we like what we were just talking about, people's sexual identity and and gender identity and all that, um, the our culture is telling not only not only those in the world but even Christians that this is uh, this gets to the very core of who they are as a human being. Um, your sexuality and your sexuality is not what makes you right? right. Like you are not your sexuality. It's almost like when we start talking about the Trinity. We have we have uh, two terms that we like to use: uh, ontological or imminent trinity, uh, which is the the nature of who God is, like who who His very nature is, and then we talk about the economy of the Trinity, which is what God does. And we see within the economy of the Trinity, you see different, you know, you see uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who do different works. Or, or excuse me, they do the same work, but it's appropriated to different persons within the Godhead. Um, but ontologically, we we see in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where they subsist in one essence, they share all the same attributes, all the same divine attributes and all that. Um, we ontologically, it's our very being of who we are. So, So ontologically, in our being, we are not our sexuality or anything like that. Um, our sexuality is is a function of what we do as people. And we're called to live out that function within uh, union uh, between man and woman. Uh, and it's for the purpose of multiplication. Uh, for the per- And we can get into all, we can talk about healthy sexuality another time, but uh, we confuse just like, just like the EFSers, the, the eternal functional subordinationists uh, who are heretics, um, they read the economy of God back into the imminent or ontological nature of God, which is where they stumble into heresy. Um, and the world often does the same thing. I don't know what the word pactum means. So Eric, you're going to have to explain that one. <laughs> well, the problem with, with theology is that we often use terms. Um, we use Latin terms that people don't know what they mean. So, uh, <laughs> well, we like, we, we also like to sound smart. <laughs> we do. Uh, <laughs> and that's how we, that's how we win arguments. We just need to sound smarter than the other person. Um, Josh has said that we've gone over his head in the last five minutes. If we have first, let me apologize Two, let me explain. It's because this is what I'm doing my PhD on, which is the Trinity. Uh, three, I am considering writing a book, uh, on to explain the Trinity, uh, in, in a more understandable way. Unfortunately, when I speak, I don't have my thoughts written out, so I can't go back and re, you know, edit things and, and really wrestle with how to word them. So 
I'm very sorry about that. Um, but I hope something will be forthcoming. Um, <laughs> why is Bigfoot man. coming at me, man? Wow. So, <laughs> he's such a <laughs> nice guy. Um, <laughs> so, uh, can I just finish what I'm trying to say, Bigfoot? <laughs> so, so what? What I'm trying, what I'm trying to illustrate for everyone, um, in referring to the Godhead, the the ontological Trinity, and the economic Trinity, is that you have one that speaks to the very nature of God, one that speaks to the works of God, and when we conflate the two, um, particularly how we read economy back into uh, ontological, that's a significant problem. Um, and it's the same thing with with life right now, with the culture, is that people are reading back the economy of people's lives, what they do, the works of people, and reading that back into who they are ontologically. Um, <laughs> Nathaniel said, no one's giving me a hard time. That's why he has to do it. Um, <laughs> oh, is that, a, is that a, a Berkshire phone call there, Mike? So the the to answer Bigford's question, which we're not going to get into today, um, but we could talk about it at a different time. But the pactum salutis uh, is a term, and I don't know what the what it stands for in Latin, but it's essentially the uh, agreement or the covenant made between uh, the father and son uh, to save uh, to save mankind. It's essentially the redemptive covenant that the son agrees with the father to um, become incarnate and, uh, and and to go to the cross and to redeem mankind. Boom. That's, that's it in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. So is, I hope that, I hope that satisfies uh, Bickford. (laughs) So um, (laughs) no, 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 no. See when it, when you get into theological discussions, especially the the deeper, more confusing piece, there's nothing that's satisfying. <laughs> well, the- well, you kind of said it like you kind of said it even earlier. You were getting a bit despondent because there's so much to know and there's no possible way to know it. Because mm-hmm. so so you're going to battle that perpetual not being satisfied mm-hmm. with your with your ability to explain or even your knowledge of said issues or topics. Right, and here we go with Bickford. He says, as long as you note that that the agreement does not imply a prior disagreement. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would say this. If you believe that there is more than one will within the Godhead, um, or, or that there is disagreement among the three persons of the Trinity, you are outside the bounds of orthodoxy, outside the bounds of what Scripture speaks to. Um, there are, There is, you know, we, we use the term the two wills of Christ, but that is... Um, that's something that is totally different um, in regards to, again, the, the three persons of the Godhead having one divine agency, will, and power. Um, the two wills of Christ speaks to uh, his divine will, but also his human will having been, Jesus is totally unique from you or I um, in that he uh, took on flesh at the incarnation but still uh, remaining in his divinity 
immutable, meaning unchanging. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's a, that's a whole other story. I'll probably include that because I am thinking in a couple of years, once I do finish my PhD, um, there are a lot of good books on the Trinity. Um, and I have a bunch of them behind me, but there's mm-hmm. only like one or two that are in very readable language. So um, we need something that would, I think be easier for people to understand. So anyway, wow. Mikey, All we, right. uh, we got any, any, any closing thoughts, any closing remarks? Nope. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Bigford. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so basically your whole PhD work is you're wasting useless. your time. Yeah. I, I mean, I know I am. It, it is pretty much useless. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. I, I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to your book that you come out and spe- specifically your chapter on how this applies to Advent Christian people. Well, dude, in the, it, it's so, it's so hard for us, right? Because we are, we have ingrained in us in, in, in the Advent Christian DNA, a sense that, well, how can anyone really know truth? Um, and we've seen that even in conversations that we've had in the last triennial and since then, um, conversations on social media and uh, on the Advent Christian Voices blog. But there's a sense among some like, well, that's just how you perceive truth. You know, who's to say that that's true? And you go, OK, well, there is a subjectivity to to um, interpreting the word of God. But there's also an objectivity to it as well. And and if we if we work in the same or similar theological method, um, that doesn't necessitate or necessarily mean that we will come to the same conclusion. But there are foundational things that just taken philosophically, you have to agree that if we disagree on these things, then we are uh, serving a God who is totally different. Take my article from a couple of weeks ago that I posted on Advent Christian Voices. I make this correlation that, if, or, or this uh, this point that if you are, if you're non-Trinitarian, you are philosophically, you are worshiping a different God than someone who, who is Trinitarian, hundred percent. Right. Like that, like that isn't even. Uh, I don't think that that's a a question worth debating. Um, I think that it's just evident. You're talking about a God who is totally different. You're either worshiping uh, three gods or one God. So, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Josh Rice is saying that the screen in Mike's chair has provided the levity that today's topic needed. I wonder if he's referring to the Trinity. The, this topic of the last two minutes. Probably. Yeah. All right, Mike. Could do this well, all. If, Could have if that's it, this all day. Unless, unless anybody else has any questions. No, because uh, I actually I do actually need to get going. I'm already late for another meeting. Ooh, so okay. Well, oh. hey, God bless you guys. Right. We'll see you next week. Hopefully, Mike comes up with another topic by then. So <laughs> uh, take care.